0: Love Talk Radio.
1: To start your show now.
0: Your show will go live in
1: five seconds. Four, three, two, one. And good morning, everyone, and welcome to Mercury Retrograde. Huh. You know, they keep used to, say, they used to say that this was a myth. No, it's not a myth. It's, uh, it's absolutely, bizarrely, you know, true. And I don't know whether we're broadcasting on Blog Talk or not, so let me try this again. Um, let me click this and click that. And then we'll do this, and we'll try it again, because tonight Welcome we're having... Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, dear. Okay, and then the guy will come on, and he'll say the usual, and I will click that. Um, everything electronic has been going very you weird your tonight. Show now press one. There, there to we are. Morning.
0: Your show is scheduled to start in 23 hours, 58 minutes,
1: Please call back
0: within 15 minutes of scheduled showtime. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio.
1: <laughs> okay, so that is not going to work. All right, so. Okay, um, I presume I'm talking to everyone. So let me go check uh, and see what I'm seeing in my Skype window. Uh, this is kind of like recording um, in the blind. Um. Let me see if everybody is here. Keith, are, are you on? I'm here, but you killed the episode. Why did you do a that? Beca- well, we're on the air, so I frankly wouldn't. No we're, not. no, we're not. We're on, we're on the stream, but we're not on blog talk.
2: Okay, I well, gotta go create a new episode.
1: Well, because again, this is why I don't like all the chatter in my head, because I can't focus on the things that need to be done so hey, what we're going to do when we get this back we're going to do a whole new count and we'll just move everything uh you know five minutes or whatever Keith okay once I get it created all right let, let me know let me know
0: well if we're still on the stream that means it's going to talk stream live and paranormal so we should do some talking. Continue with the show. Get
1: silence. I didn't understand that, Cynthia.
0: What I'm saying is we're still going out live to talk stream live and paranormal, so there shouldn't be dead air. Maybe oh, well, just we,
1: time. <laughs> well we yeah. can we can do background, you know, this is behind the scenes radio. I'm um, telling you is. Mercury retrograde is is a is a real thing. And I've noticed it all week with the damn computers, so. And tonight was worst of all. So, you know, and for people that don't understand what we're talking about, there is the, you know, geometric thing where planets uh, appear to move backwards. Well, they stir the physics backward, like stirring coffee cream in 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 a cup backwards. And you get turbulence. And it causes dislocations and all kinds of other problems. So, that's why you have to be especially mindful particularly in the area of communications during what's so so called as mercury retrograde so i presume keith is uh, quietly setting it up and i will take a look um, and uh, you'll you'll yeah we need to reset all of that because it's flipping to another show that will be maybe for next week so in the meantime, um, uh, I, I, I see if we start this thing formally properly, then we can simply move everything, you know, when when Chris does the re does the editing, so that it all comes out correct for when we post it for the archive, and um, very bizarre, <laughs> very bizarre. Well, it's been a very bizarre week, as uh, we will get into when we, you know the show. Someday we will do the show. (laughs) So maybe we should have a tally of who is here. Present. That's Robert.
2: Hello everybody.
1: That's Andrew. I'm here. That's Laura. I'm also here, hello. <laughs> You're mostly here, okay, Olger. <laughs> Good morning. And Rogero all the way from Britain at the crack of dawn. Present. And is here. And Keith is busily working to reconnect blog talk. So I should probably get out of this and then and go back in, right?
0: There's a message from Chris saying he's listening on Paranormal.
1: Okay. Um. Well, this is Backstage Radio, so let me do this again. Yeah, okay. you know, sometimes Backstage Radio is more uh, is more uh, lively than it is right now. Oh my 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 my. Technological problems always will get you in the end. We live in a civilization which is much too dependent on all these appurtenances, much too. Arthur wrote a book, Arthur Clarke wrote a book many, many years ago. I think it was a novel. um, And I think it was called When the Machine Stops. And it was basically about uh, someone who was totally dependent in little cubicles in an arcology in a city in the far distant future where everybody was plugged in all the time, but from their rooms. They never left. Everything came to them. It was delivered. Uh, People didn't really visit in in person. They visit electronically. Um, So should I log out and then you'll tell me to log back into Talk, Keith? just do the show
0: and and keep keep up i'll okay. let you know when you're supposed to get in
1: okay all right so let me start with my items obviously if you're new to the other side of midnight you've never heard a show like this <laughs> what you want to do is go to the other side of and that will take you to our main page our home page at the top of tonight's uh, homepage, you will see a banner which says rather dramatically indian breakthrough south pole moon landing et artifacts confirmed believe me when we actually get into the the body of this program um i have a feeling that your perceptions of reality and what reality is or is not may be affected in a rather dramatic way tonight by the end of this three hours um So if you click on that banner, that will take you to the uh, guest page. And under the guest page, where it says to listen to the show, it says in the first line under that, Fast Links to Items, in white. Click on my name. That will take you to my section of what we call Radio with Pictures, where we post very interesting items that we're going to talk about. I did not realize this until a couple days ago, but literally today allowing for the calendar and all that. It is the 60th tetrahedral anniversary of Martin Luther King's infamous, famous, dramatically famous I Have a Dream speech with the huge rally held in 1963 um, in the March on Washington in front of the Lincoln Memorial. And unfortunately today, a rabid racist killed three people uh, in a... Uh, somewhere in a small town in the South. I think it might have been Jacksonville. And so we have this extraordinary polarity 60 years after Martin Luther King enunciated a call for a more perfect union, which, of course, is what his I Have a Dream speech was all about. We have the anniversary, we have the commemoration, and we have this extraordinary reminder that... uh, Very little seems to have changed, at least in in terms of this, and it is such a tragedy, such a tragedy, but it means, of course, that uh, the job of people who are trying to make the Union more perfect is not finished. Item number two. Now, this probably is going to become one of the most infamous, well-known photographs all over the world in future years, in future history. This is uh, a former president of the United States mugshot. I never imagined in a million years that I'd be saying something like that to an audience live on the air around the country and across the world. But that is his mugshot, and I frankly think it's the perfect um, image for Donald Trump in terms of his uh, public persona, certainly. Uh, I've said often, in the last several months that this time we're living through, this epic of history, is very much like that award-winning movie from last year, uh, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, because you have all these contradictory events occurring simultaneously, both on Earth and off the Earth. And um, literally, the, the night before, The president went to, uh, the ex-president went to uh, Atlanta to be booked as part of the uh, um, indictment process of 19 individual people who were involved in the conspiracy to overthrow the United States government. Um, The night before, there was the first debate held by the uh, uh, Republican party among the candidates who are vying to supplant Donald Trump as the nominee of the GOP uh, come next year and the election. And there was a range of questions. It was a debate that was held on Fox. And uh, although I'm not normally a devotee of Fox, I did watch the debate. And there was one really remarkable moment, again, in the idiom, everything, everywhere, all at once, because the two moderators, uh, Brett Baer, and I forget who the, uh, the woman was, um, they basically uh, asked the forbidden question, which had to do with the presidency, the executive branch, and UFOs. And so item number three is uh, Charlie, uh, Charlie is uh, um, Chris Christie who was a former governor of the state of New Jersey, ran for president uh, some years ago. Richard, Say again?
0: Excuse, me for, excuse me for a second. Hit direct connect and direct connect.
1: Connect, okay.
0: Do not end the episode if you have <laughs> to do it again.
1: Okay, all
0: right. And all right. will all the guests please check their sound notifications and make sure it's turned off in your
1: Yeah, mine, mine is, it keeps turning itself on. Again, mercury retrograde. I don't understand why so and there are other things that come popping on and popping off uh, I'm not hearing the guy saying to check the next setting so
0: do you hit direct
1: connect yes
0: okay it says it's waiting for you to connect well did you get the dial pad
1: yeah, I got the dial pad. I just you're hit. connected. All right, so we are connected. Yes. Okay. Super. All right. Well, with that out of the way, um, anyway, the the two hosts, the co-hosts for the Republican debate, asked the forbidden question, and it was not just a kind of a flip discussion. It was a very full-throated backgrounder in you know uh, house hearings government witnesses you know UFOs bodies whatever and they asked Chris Christie if he was elected president if he would continue the full disclosure process and he was he he was actually kind of taken aback he says come on man and then he went through you know why were they picking on him the governor of New Jersey and I think he even made a reference to uh uh, War of the Worlds uh, and the 1938 radio broadcast, which of course was set in New Jersey for the alien invasion. And then he ended with, of course, he would, you know, continue the process of figuring out what was going on, et cetera, et cetera. But what was really interesting is that a whole group of new people, a new audience, who may or may not be following the whole UFO thing on Capitol Hill and the Republicans holding House hearings, you know, a couple, three weeks ago, a whole new audience was treated to a serious question from serious network moderators asking a serious candidate president the extraordinarily serious UFO question of the night. And he ended it properly, which was, of course, he would you know proceed with openness and uh, disclosure as the process unfolded it was frankly a very remarkable advance in the public perception of this issue and to me it was kind of like the high point of the evening because of course behind all of this there stands the specter of extraterrestrial life and what are we going to be allowed to know and when will be be allowed know it which takes us to item number four in the same time frame uh the chief scientist at nasa headquarters under which the nasa inquiry into uaps and ufos was launched before he uh quietly retired and his you know uh, position was taken by uh someone else he was asked uh, uh the same question obviously not in the same format and if you read his response He gives a kind of a nod to China, may be to blame for some of the UFOs. I'm not quite sure what his logic is there because their uh, demonstrated capabilities is light years beyond any known earthly technology. And if the Chinese really possessed such a technology, we would all be speaking, except uh, Robert Robert already does, we'd be speaking Mandarin, and we're not so it's kind of like he really couldn't completely you know separate himself from the standard party line but as you get down further in the article he actually admits that there could be interstellar civilizations there could be you know visitors that we are not aware of and again he was putting himself four square behind the new agency position that these searches and these explorations and this science must be pursued. Again, it seems to be that there's been a new hymnal handed out, and a lot of folks who normally just poo-pooed this stuff in their official positions are suddenly taking it much more seriously, which, of course, they should. Which leads us now to item number five. Something really bad is happening uh, off Fukushima. The Japanese, and I forget the name of the... uh, Uh, power plant uh, that is, uh, or or, I'm sorry, I should say the corporation that runs the uh, Japanese power uh, situation, the the electricity there in Fukushima. But they have just, say again? TEPCO. TEPCO, Tepco. okay. Well, this is not a government decision. all They're actually concurrent. But the, the corporation has decided to dump, I forget how many, hundred thousand or a million gallons or something of radioactive wastewater from the plant into the Pacific Ocean. And you remember the old cliche, the solution to pollution is dilution. Well, that's only useful up to a, up to a point, because when you dump radioactive wastewater into an ocean full of living organisms, like fish, like clams, like oysters, um, like whales, like dolphins, like sharks, the percentage of that wildlife in the ocean, which is then harvested by humankind and is consumed, is eaten, those radioactive nucleides, they don't just magically disappear. They literally are part of the long-term ecological problem on planet Earth, which is we have put far too much radioactivity from the uh, initial bomb tests here in in uh, Trinity in New Mexico back in 1945, and then the bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and then this incredible mad spur of testing that occurred in the South Pacific at places like Inuitok and Bikini and the Marshall Islands and all over the south pacific and then other nations joined in using the same you know ocean landscape the british the french there was an absolute extraordinary fusillade of testing of major nuclear weapons in a frenzy during the 1950s and all that radioactivity distributed itself throughout the biosphere up until 1963 when um president kennedy was able to negotiate with Khrushchev a uh, halt to atmospheric testing, and then the weapons testing went underground. Well, that in, in turn uh, created problems that were of, were of a different level, but at least atmospheric uh, transport of radioactive nucleides freely around the planet came to an end. Uh, incidentally, tomorrow night, as opposed to a brand new show, because... Uh, uh chandra wikrama singh who's going to talk to us about the first year of Webb, was not available tomorrow night he had other things that had intervened in our initial conversations when i had to reschedule his program we're going to run part two of oppenheimer because we get into a lot of very important and interesting detail on the legacy of open free and frenetic atmospheric testing of both vision and fusion nuclear weapons in the late 40s, in the 50s, in the 60s. So that's a program which we're not running because we couldn't do something else, but we are running it because you need to pay attention to the details that we cover, a a myriad of really important details, which uh, frankly is apropos to what the Japanese have now begun to do, which they're doing because there doesn't seem to be any other alternative. This is why I keep talking about hyper-dimensional physics, because if that physics was not relegated to that which shall not be named, but was in fact part of our daily experience, our daily lexicon, our daily well-known science, there would be no such thing as radioactive wastewater. There would be no such thing as an environmental ecosystem which had to be cleansed. And with current technology, it's impossible to do of the uh, debris from literally a decade plus of uh, radionuclide release into the atmosphere from unconstrained, mad nuclear testing in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Which leads us to item number six. Because number six is an announcement, the Japanese is going to launch their so-called SLIM, that's an acronym, S-L-I-M, Moon Lander, and a space telescope tomorrow evening, Eastern Time. The actual uh, time in both Eastern and Pacific is listed in that link, including some of the instrumentation that they're going to carry to the moon. And unlike the current kind of spate of, of moon landing attempts, which we're always going to get to later later in this hour, uh, later in the next three hours, uh, like the Indians. Uh, this this uh, landing mission, this unmanned robotic Japanese mission, will set down at about 13 degrees south of the lunar equator in a place called Mare Nectaris, Which is the Sea of Nectar, the Sea of, uh, you know, very tasty whatever, uh, which of course is in Latin, no nectar. And it will be at about 13 south and 25 degrees east. So they're not going to be trying to come down through the densest portion of the ancient lunar dome. So again, in the idiom that science is nothing if it's not prediction. My prediction is that they will land successfully when they get to the moon. Now, if you read the article carefully as item number six, you will see that they are going to take four to five months on a very, very, very energy conservative slow boat to the moon. So we cannot expect uh, a landing of the Japanese SLIM mission until like five months from you know, tomorrow night which will put us in what? I guess December, something like that. Anyway, um, that is uh, an item that we'll obviously will be tracking when they get to the moon. In the meantime, we're going to be focusing um, on the space items just a little closer to home. Again, in the idiom, everything, everywhere, all at once. Last night, uh, SpaceX launched four new astronauts to rendezvous again tomorrow night Uh, like about 5.30, I think, is when they're going to rendezvous with the space station to take up uh, new positions Four crew members. For the first time, I believe, in space history, four crew members simultaneously in space at the station from four different nations. So space is becoming extraordinarily internationalized and democratized, and all of the things that are needed for a well uh, founded space civilization. And uh, though the Crew 7, which is what their uh, numbers are in terms of the commercial crew carrying uh, on with the activities of the space station, they will arrive there tomorrow night. Again, you can uh, click on that link. It will tell you the time and, you know, uh, it'll be carried by NASA TV Live sometime around, I think, 5.30 um, Mountain and maybe 4.30 Pacific. But again, you can check the time in that link. Which brings us to the topic of the evening, which is the rover um, deployment by the first successful third world nation to land an unmanned spacecraft on the moon. Remember, the Indians tried with their Chandrian uh, 2 mission in 2019, following their Chandrian 1 mission in uh, 2009, to land an unmanned spacecraft named Bikram and a little uh, rover named Prajyan. uh and both of them kind of like mean the same thing. Bikram means hero and wise one and prajjan means uh, wisdom and one iteration i saw it meant supreme wisdom so the indians tried again and a few days ago on wednesday um, morning at the pre-dawn hour for me of uh 6 a.m here in mountain time um the Indians were able to successfully land the successor to the Chandrayaan 2 Vikram lander, and they landed it on the moon um, at a most propitious place. And if you tell me this is just coincidental, um, I will come and pay you a visit. They are literally within two hundredths of a percent. Let me repeat that. Within two hundredths of a percent they have landed 19.5 degrees from the lunar south pole at 33 degrees east longitude and if you think that is a coincidence obviously you're not remembering FDR's famous statement that in politics there's no such thing as coincidence so when we return I'm going to introduce my panel and we're going to be talking at great length about what the Indians have accomplished and what the Indians have not revealed about the landing site, where they have for the first time ever become the first third world nation to land an incredibly sophisticated piece of engineering in two parts on the surface of the moon. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, We shall return. Mercury, retrograde, willing.
0: Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hudland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes.
1: Welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, August 26, 2023. Tonight is a very strange program, not the least of which is because of the subject matter, because we're going to unveil some things to you that uh, maybe a lot of you are not going to quite believe. So, before we get into the thrust of what we're going to do, let me introduce all at the same time uh, our panel for this evening, because frankly, Um, going through all those intros with all those backgrounds when you can read them uh, under that uh, Fast Link items. You click on Fast Links to Bios and there's Andrew Curry and Ruggiero, Robert Morningstar, Ron Gerbron, Holger Eisenberg, uh, a friend of Andrew's who was an Indian citizen, Arun, and uh, our friend Laura London. Uh, Kinthea, of course, is... uh, there in the background and keith is monitoring the technology there in uh, outside washington so without giving basically details on bios which you can read for yourself let me open the mic and uh, uh let me turn to you andrew because you've obviously got the most interesting background here uh in terms of your perception of the connection between the indian Uh, flight to the moon and successful landing and background hello uh, hello Hello there that's Ron breaking in okay
3: (laughs) Um, I've been here I I didn't um...
1: yeah sorry Ron I'm I'm introducing Andrew just kind of be a little patient we're having weird Mercury retrograde problems tonight really bizarre problems so Andrew that's okay are you there
2: yes excellent
1: yes. i'm hearing weird noises <laughs> oh see tonight Uh-oh. is tonight is not going well mercury retrograde so i tell you why we're while we're waiting for all that to die down let me introduce you to item number eight um after the landing uh the indians have over the last 72 hours, they have been releasing with extraordinary, um, I I don't even know the term to use. They have been incredibly curmudgeonly about sharing any real-time data. Everything they have released on their ongoing mission has been recorded with between hours and days elapsing before the event took place and the actual release of video or an image showing us it actually happened. And that includes particularly the deployment of their rover. Now technically, according to the uh, published flight plan, when the chandrayaan Bikram Lander uh, touched down at 6:34 uh, a.m. Uh, Wednesday morning mountain time, and you can adjust your clocks accordingly. It was 6.04 in the evening in India. Um, they um, had planned within three to four hours to roll down the ramp for the little rover and roll the rover down the ramp onto the lunar surface. The actual deployment of the ramp and rover, for some reason, did not take place for something like twice that period of time, between seven and a half and eight hours elapsed before according to the Indian Space Agency, which has the acronym of ISRO, I-S-R-O um, they deployed like four hours late. And unlike the Chinese, when, when, when the Chinese landed back in 2013, their Chang-3 lander named uh, Chang, after the Chinese goddess of the moon, and their little rover named Yutu, which is Chang's pet rabbit. I don't know whether he's six foot tall and white, but he's supposed to have accompanied her in the Chinese mythology of uh, Chang being spirited away to the moon with her rabbit. Uh, The rover on the Chinese mission, uh, Chang-3, which landed in the um, uh, Sea of Storms, Uh, Mare Imbrium, which is that large dark area in the upper left-hand quadrant of the full moon. When you look up at the moon at night, that big dark area uh, to the upper left, like in the uh, 10, 11 o'clock position, that's Mare Imbrium, a sea of storms in Latin. When they landed there in 2013, within hours they deployed their little U-2 rover and they broadcast to the entire planet this extraordinary historic Chinese development live, both on Chinese television, on the internet, on Twitter, on all of the various outlets. Not so with the Indians. And remember, India is supposed to be the largest democracy on earth. No, the Indians did all this in secret and days have literally elapsed before they released a video of the rover deployment and they begin with a very long block of computer animation not with the actuality itself that comes like halfway through the video which is linked in my item number eight so with that as prologue let me turn to andrew who has some really fascinating connections between previous research that uh, our team and individuals have done vis-a-vis remarkably ancient Indian motifs that we have found in architecture on the moon far away from the South Polar region. So, Andrew, with that as prologue, what do you think of the Indian landing and the increasing weirdness that now over 72 hours have elapsed and we've got one video of the land of the rover rolling down the ramp and out onto the surface and we've got one still image which has been replicated several times from the same camera of the same view as days have gone by, and nothing else has come out of this extraordinary historical achievement by India, which is a country of one point four very poor billion people and there are all kinds of uh, domestic conflicts at home within the Indian political structure about should they be spending uh, the amount of money they're spending on their space program when it could be spent for other things of service to the Indian culture and society and body politic. Well, they've done all this and then in the most bizarre fashion it's like they're trying to hide their achievement because in three days plus and counting they've released one image of a small patch of real estate right next to the lander at the base of the ramp near the south pole of the moon and that's it your thoughts
2: well richard this As you know, and as we talked about last week and probably before that, is a huge deal for India. And my friend Arun, who is a friend of the show and has been on the show before, will be joining us at some point um, as the proceedings go along. But what we saw, and I was discussing this with Ron – was all kinds of celebrations. Prime Minister Modi standing, sitting there in the you know the first videos when they landed, waving his Indian flag, and everybody's breaking out into dance and joy, and the streets are full of people going crazy. And like you said, then it goes quiet. It's like it's like being set up with a beautiful, sexy woman, then and then and she doesn't show up. <laughs> <Like> this, <laughs> well, there's nothing there, and and Ron even said to me, one picture that, in yeah, three days. Yeah, and that the chatter is now becoming. You know, I said to him, I said, "Is there? Are, are the Indians asking questions?" And he says, "Yes, they are. They're they, they are beginning
1: as well. to. In fact, I I, I tried yeah. to copy and paste a long thread in Twitter slash X, but my computer somehow is not letting me get to the whole thing. So I only was able to post the original. You know, poster who goes by the name of something scientist, and he with great deference. Kind of, you know, like something out of Oliver Twist. Uh, May I have some more, sir? He said, can we have some more pictures? One picture in three days.
2: Yeah. So, Richard, this is either pointing at one of two things. Well, the most obvious one, Occam's Razor, I suppose, uh, that there has been camera failure, some sort of problem, and they're too embarrassed to talk about it or they're trying to correct it and then get things arighted. Or, they caught a glimpse of something on the floor, <laughs> and they're, well, they're- They're know. freaking out! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is a place of Bollywood, right? Like, these people know, there are more Bollywood films made, I believe. there's. I read this somewhere. It's, it's bigger than Hollywood, you know, in terms of per capita, and the number of people that see the film. These people know how to present don't give me this that oh suddenly we've become amateurs no way
1: (laughs) particularly after they had four years to practice and practice and practice since the shattering you know uh sadness and despair of them crashing just before landing within you know like a less than a mile above the surface which of course i've said all along is because they hit the glass and they didn't know there was any glass there well They knew all that and when you actually look at the trajectory of their landing their automatic landing system which is really at the top of the ai team list was deft in maneuvering left and right and back and forth and they got down safely because obviously because of their polarizing camera which allows them to see the glass which polarizes light so you can use the polarizing filter to find where the glass is um, they were able to make it to the surface. We get one picture and then with with incredible lassitude, after a couple of days, we get short, like 20-second video clips of this rover, uh, Prajan, rolling down the ramp and out onto the surface. And I'm incredibly suspicious of that footage and I'll get into why as we go through the morning. But let me, let me take back, you know, the helm for a minute here, and direct everyone to go to item number nine in my items, click on that. The left-hand, this is a double panel, it's a comparison. The left-hand frame is of the actual surface of the moon from the Chandrayaan-3 lander, Vikram. And that's the color and the intensity and the brightness of what they actually released and the image next to it the companion the comparison is when i increase the saturation just a bit to match the gold of the mylar and of the images taken of appurtenances on the spacecraft when they were in orbit so since i didn't have a white balance i basically used the gold to kind of balance the colors in terms of saturation nothing else has been changed i simply increased the color saturation And what we see is a stunning, not dead gray surface, which is kind of the NASA moon, but an incredibly colorful surface with shades of reds and oranges and greens and blues, and obviously brilliant reflections. Look at that reflection up top of the frame in almost the center. And all we've done is to increase moderately, like about 50% the color saturation. So this tells me that one of the first things that freaked them out was the fact that the moon is so much more colorful than anybody raised on a, you know, a a childhood of a NASA imagery of the moon had any right to expect. Andrew?
2: Yes, you're correct. And um, I know Laura had mentioned in one of our back channel discussions about you know, the Indian coverage of when the the rover was kind of initially rolling down off the ramp, and she goes, oh, we're watching a video with video. But even in that, it's kind of poor quality, Richard, you could see on that, what I, I think is, is the um, the panel, the, the solar panel, still flat before it lifted up to go down. It was reflecting back the patches of color, which was Monet-like, on you don't actually have it here. Um, Ron did a really beautiful um, hopefully we got, maybe I can get his up, but it actually reflects back what the surface looks like, so it's another confirmation. You, you know you're totally right, and I think that freaked them out. Um, yes.
1: Well, I it's agree. only one of the things that freaked them out. So yes, what I want to yes. do is kind of do a round robin with everybody just commenting on their first impressions of the Indian mission and how the Indians are handling of it. And then we'll, and then we'll go into more detail because I've taken these images apart and a couple of others that I found in very obscure places that maybe actually slipped out like there are leaks from the ISRO control center. The, the Indians are now revolting by posting stuff they're not supposed to post. So we'll get into all of that in the next uh, you know couple of hours. So let's uh, who wants to comment on the Indian mission uh, that is not Andrew.
3: Well, I'd like to thank Andrew for- Okay, this uh, is Ron,
1: Ron Gerbrun. Yes, when, you, when you come hi. on, please introduce yourself because new listeners may not know your well-known voices. Ah, okay, this is still Ron coming back
3: again. <laughs> uh, and, uh, Who is you know, our resident generalist. About, yes, you know, I feel about-
1: With actual specialty, sorry, Ron, in extraterrestrial archaeology. That's well, Okay, that's fair.
3: I, I don't think anybody issues a degree in that anyway. Not uh, yet, but uh, the, they will. Well, yeah. well, we'll see. Uh, yeah, I see, I have a... Uh, well, Andrew was correct. I think that the reflections... Sorry, Richard, about the... Uh, you're worried about the bottom surface. I was worried about all the surfaces and thinking that reflection was as important here as anything having to do with refraction. Because... We know already from everything else that's landed on the moon that there is glass all over the place I mean, in fact, it's enshrined by nasa they it's you will find the technical name of that of glass that's produced under low gravity uh and vacuum like conditions uh is so much stronger it's uh than, well, the you know, the we the, the, the glass
1: you're referring to is what they call impact melt. When you have a silicon dioxide, which is what the moon is basically made of, according to chemical analyses, silicon dioxide in various forms turns into glass. You know, window glass, plate glass. It's got to go through some right. very important steps, but that's what happens. What they have claimed over the years, given that I think half of the lunar regolith samples by weight turned out to be little tiny spherules of glass. They had to figure out, they had to figure out, well, where does the glass come from? This is light years before my, you know, glass dome model around the whole moon. So they basically said, hang hang on, hang on. They basically said the moon has been there four and a half billion years. It's been bombarded, bombarded, bombarded. You know, it's like the rubble has been smashed three, four million times. How, How high can it bounce? And each of those little impacts creates more and more and more glass through the chemistry of high temperatures, high pressures, and silicon dioxide. So you're gonna find glass on the surface. The problem is looking at the scale of the the wide angle image in nine, both the regular, the, the original, and then my slight saturation, you don't get regional enhancements of glass light interaction on the surface that's a projection phenomenon like you know showing filtered uh, spots on a on a on a white movie screen at the great closeness that i've actually taken this image you'll see the glass sparkling and prismatically refracting light on the surface at very fine detail but that's not the phenomena we're looking at in number nine the other thing i want to point out to you Remember, everything that you're seeing of the lander on the lower right-hand corner of both frames, they're in shadow. The lander body is between the sun and the structure, the lowered ramp that you're seeing in, in these two pictures. So why are they so bright? Why is the rover with the panel, the solar panel folded flat for the time being, so bright? They have to be reflecting light from somewhere above the lander at 19.5 degrees from the lunar south pole. What could possibly, on an airless world where the sky should be pitch black, what, where could the light coming from to shine all over that solar panel and the other equipment?
3: Ron, sorry. Gee. Yeah, I was I was just about to make a point. Your timing is getting more impeccable all the time. <laughs> the uh, uh, no, the point is, and I have, by the way, seen the words both space glass and quote Apollo glass used in reference to the glass there. You know, talking about the samples that were brought back by the um, Apollo mission uh, in official NASA documents. So I, I think it's enshrined already. there are they're. they're Dodge, I haven't seen impact glass referenced for a long time, but there's only so many of those papers. Anyway, that stuff, you know, something completely covered with it uh, is, as you just pointed out, talking about the um, uh, those super reflective screens that you use for movie projections, uh, it, it has the same effect, which means that there are prismatic effects if you're up close to it and that scatters away. And from any distance, it's simply brighter. You know, it's much more reflective overall it all, uh, all that
1: renta- all that refractive stuff. Uh, well, the, 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 the way beaded movie screens um, and they, Kodak uh, came, not Kodak, 3M came out with the first beaded mm-hmm. movie screen. And in fact, there was a friend of mine at uh, EG&G, uh, Charlie Wyckoff, who actually helped them invent the beaded screen because when light enters a beaded screen where the the, the white background has got millions of little glass beads, little spherical, little tiny, tiny, uh, well, they're basically round spherical beads glued to the screen. The light ray goes in, bounces around and comes back out in the same fashion in the opposite direction and so they're called retro reflective screens same principle on uh, street signs at night so then your headlights hit them they, they they brighten up dramatically as you're driving down a highway that technology yeah. is is artificial on earth on the moon particularly depending upon the percentage of glass beating in the soil it actually gives you incredible retro reflection looking what they call down sun with the sun behind you you can see many astronaut pictures from from the apollo era where the astronaut's shadow is surrounded by this incredible overblown overexposed nimbus a brilliant illuminated landscape because when you're looking away from the sun at the surface the glass bounces that light directly back toward the camera or the eye of the observer this is a little different because without much raising of the saturation at all, the broad scale, different tonal, Monet-like, you know, spectral patterning on the surface is a separate phenomena and can only come from above that surface, from some kind of, you know, stained glass window effect, where there's something, you know, physical above the surface, which is refracting the light of different colors at different portions of the lunar landscape if they ever gave us a panorama the the landscape is going to be absolutely shatteringly brilliantly colored and that's of course what they don't dare show us because somehow modi did not get the message we're in a new era we're now talking about things we never talked about before including in presidential u.s debates uh attempt three
3: uh, the uh, yeah, as you said, those uh, reticular screens that were developed—they do it uniformly. Yes, you know what they reflect, and it's all even. The glass that is in those uh, putative little spherals uh, all over the moon surface, and some of it I think is just plain old slag, uh, is irregular, and because of that. The stuff doesn't reflect in the same way. If you get any distance away from it, close up, you get uh, refractive effects from the light hitting the glass. But that's faint if you get any distance away from it. And what you get is something that is super reflective, which means that it's blinding to the camera. And that explains a lot of white spots on uh, a lot of space pictures, especially on the moon. Uh, where it, it just overwhelmed it. There's no way to handle that, uh, you know, without calibrating the everything so that everything else is degraded, and that's the problem. And what you're talking about polarizing filters does help, but again, it's it's a it's a crapshoot because you're dancing things that between things that are irregular. They're not uniform like something out of a laboratory or out of Monsanto, and. That's, I think that explains a lot of it, but I also think there's a bunch of flat surfaces that you see in that area of the moon from other pictures.
1: Well, let me, let me go on to item number two. If you go to my item number 10, yeah. which is the now close-up of the crater, which is on the upper left-hand portion of, the, of frames number nine, this is a close-up of a, it's about a three-foot-wide uh, crater, um, and it looks like a normal crater unless you click on it, make it real big and then you suddenly see both in color and in black and white this surface is like none other that any unmanned or manned space mission to the moon has ever seen that landscape is filled filled with incredible geometric angularities boxes and ridges and right angles and their luminous glass, how do we know? Because of all the colors, the refracted spectral colors that are then internally, you know, refracted in a way that the rays come back to wherever the camera is, in this case on the uh, uh, Vikram lander that just set down 19.5 degrees from the lunar south pole. And item number 11 is a very large version that is an incredibly geometric surface which together with the colors is what I think is freaking out the Indians to the point where they mistakenly released one frame before they knew what they were looking at and then they have completely shut down because they had no way to quietly in any geologically sensible scientific manner to explain what they're seeing. This is not a natural surface this is an incredibly artificial surface I think Andrew's the term pavement or floor uh, you know any term will fit but it ain't yeah. it ain't regolith on a dusty gray dead lunar surface like we have been expecting to see from all the official pronouncements and frankly it looks to me like the Indians were caught completely dumbfounded by what their first picture, which escaped, shows us.
2: Richard, can I cut in just for a yeah, second? Course, I of course. Hawk the air and I'll back out. Um, so for people to really understand, you oh, have a but, but, video. But, but, wait,
1: wait, 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 we're literally one minute to the uh, oh, top okay. of the hour, so let's hold everything. And then we'll bring in other panelists this morning. What we're trying to do is to decode from outside of the control rooms in India, half a world away, why the most remarkable thing that a third world impoverished country with almost one and a half billion people could have ever done in any of their recorded history, land an unmanned sophisticated robot on the moon and then not talk about it, not show anything hide hide with millions of people congratulating them from all around the world you're on the other side of midnight my name is richard c hoagland and very appropriately from pink floyd the dark side of the moon Over and out.